following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. ...that is not only central to our current preaching series, which we've entitled, what? spring cleaning but this theme or should i say doctrine that we're going to explore and investigate this morning is central to christianity and what is this central theme or pivotal doctrine well it's the theme of repentance repentance everyone say repentance repentance i wonder what comes to mind when you say and hear the term repentance well we're going to explore this theme this morning We'll come to Psalm 32 in just a moment. Um, But, you know, repentance, as I said, is central to Christianity. For instance, John the Baptist, when he started his preaching ministry, made repentance really the main theme of each of his sermons. We know this because in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I want you to know that he not only preached that message once, but he constantly preached that same sermon throughout the Judean countryside. Repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is near. And of course, the reason why he preached that message was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, for Christ. And when Christ came, what message did he preach? Well, he preached too. Repentance. We know that because of Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says there that Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, namely in himself. And then he said, repent and believe the good news. And so John the Baptist preached repentance and Jesus from the get-go preached repentance, but not only at the beginning of his preaching ministry, but also throughout his preaching ministry, he highlighted the need for people to repent. For example, in Luke chapter 11, some guys came to him with a burn. I'm so tempted to jump down there, but I'm staying for it. Okay? In Luke chapter 11, people came to him with a burning question, and he said to them, guys, I think you've got the wrong end of the stick here. You know, you're focused on all these different things, but what's really important is your uh, destiny, your eternal destiny, and where you're going to head after death. Guys, you need to repent, otherwise you will perish. And he said that to them twice. And so in Luke chapter 13, which is pretty much smack bang in the center of his preaching ministry, he's highlighting repentance. And then after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, he gathers his disciples together at Galilee. And what does he tell them? He says, I want you to go throughout the ends of the earth preaching a message of repentance. And so John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus, from the get-go, in smack bang, in the center of his preaching ministry, was focusing on repentance. He commanded his church to preach repentance. And then after his ascension, and he, you know, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to galvanize his people, the apostle Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And there's a crowd gathered, and he preaches the very first Christian message. And what did it consist of? Well, largely, repentance, the need to repent. He was preaching a thunderous sermon, and many there came under the convicting influence of the Holy Spirit. And they say to some of the apostles, what shall we do? Like, we're feeling pretty lousy and bad that we conspired against the Messiah, we had him crucified, what shall we do? And he says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, repent, the very first thing, 
Repent, not make a decision for Christ, not slip up your hand, not walk an aisle, but repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so in its inception, the early church preached repentance, but throughout its preaching ministry, again, the theme of repentance was central. We know this because of Acts chapter 17, verse 30. This time the apostle Paul, he stands up in the presence of a Gentile audience and he says to them, God in the past overlooks your ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere. That's an all-inclusive statement that involves every single human being on the planet. He commands everyone everywhere to do what? To (laughs) repent. To repent. And so John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus, our Savior, preached repentance. The early church, in its, in, in its inception, preached repentance. And throughout its ministry and its life, preached repentance. And this is why when the uh, author of Hebrews um, comes to chapter 6, he says that the, rep- the doctrine of repentance is a fundamental doctrine that we're to build our Christian lives and churches on. Because there in that text, he lists six fundamental doctrines. And the one he mentions first, right there at the top, is repentance from dead works. And so I trust as we've you know, just scanned a little sampling here that we can all see from the get-go that repentance is not on the outskirts of God's interactions with us as people, but rather smack bang in the center of his dealings with us as human beings. It, just a mental image to help you, repentance for Christianity is not a suburb, it's a city center. It's a city center, and being a city center means that this one 20-minute sermon won't be able to cover every aspect of this important doctrine. And so for that reason, I'm being tailored. I want to be helpful. I want to come alongside each of you and be very practical. And so I want us to consider these two pivotal questions concerning this pivotal doctrine, the doctrine of repentance. The first question is the what question. What is it? And secondly, the second question is how do we do it? How do we do it well? And so the first question, what is it? What exactly is repentance? What is it? I wonder what is in your mind right now as you're pondering the term, the doctrine, repentance, repentance. Well, in his helpful and challenging article uh, entitled False Repentance Leads to False Conversion, Pastor and author Michael Lawrence, he says this about repentance. This is his definition, and I think it's a really helpful one. He says, repenting, this is his definition, means exchanging our idols for God. Repentance means exchanging our idols for God. Now, when he talks about idols, he's not talking about physical stone statues or wooden statues. He's talking about idols of the heart. That is things that we treasure at times more than Christ. Things that we prefer to Christ. Things that we chase after more than we chase after Christ. And often these things are God's good gifts to us. That we make gods. That is, we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. And that ultimate thing becomes an idol. For instance, our family, or work, or career, or our image, or our reputation, and the list is pretty much endless. We take these good things, 
essentially, in and of themselves, they're good, and we make them ultimate things, and we attach our meaning and our life's purpose and our security and satisfaction in these various things. They become idols, small g gods. And Michael Lawrence says that repentance is the acknowledgement that we have made these gifts gods, and it's exchanging them for the one true pleasure, the ultimate joy, the ultimate satisfaction, namely Christ himself. Now, I hope and I trust that you can see how vastly different this understanding of repentance is from how we sometimes view repentance. I think sometimes we treat repentance as just a call to try harder. Who's with me? One of you, thank you. You hear the term repent, repent, and you have images of someone in sackcloth, and you think, okay, New Year's resolution. I'm going to try a bit harder. You know, and we try and pull up our spiritual socks, and we're like, okay, I'm not going to blow up at the kids anymore. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to blow up at the spouse anymore. You know, that's a miracle. Uh, I'm I'm going to be a more pure person. I'm not going to give in to sexual immorality. I'm never going to look at porn again. And the list is endless. I want to be more honest. I'm never going to give in to gossip. And and we make these kind of, this pact with ourselves, thinking that that is repentance. But I want you to hear me. Repentance may involve that. But in essence, that's not repentance. Because listen, if repentance was merely Behavior modification, listen, the Pharisees would have been on the right side of Jesus, not on the wrong side of Jesus. Because morally speaking, they were squeaky clean. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, meaning on on the outside, their behavior was very pure. It was noble. But inside, what does Jesus say? Your dead men's bones. Their interior life was rotten to the core. In other words, They still worshipped themselves. They hadn't really repented. They still had these idols of reputation and power and control that they loved instead of loving Christ. And so repentance, I want you to hear me, is not mainly about a change in our behavior, but it's about a change in the deepest part of us. The very motivational structures of the human heart, what we love, what we treasure, what we worship. And also, church, I want you to hear this. That was cool. That was even cooler. It's okay. I didn't get shot, all right? I'm okay. I'm still alive. Though maybe one of the neighbors is listening and wants to shoot me. I don't know. Repentance also, and this is something that we often think repentance is. It's not remorse or sorrow necessarily. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I think verse 9, it talks about sorrow leading to repentance. But sometimes sorrow or remorse doesn't always lead to repentance. Case in point, Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus, and did he feel bad about that? Yeah, he did. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, we read, and they're kind of striking words, he was seized with remorse. But his remorse didn't lead him to repentance. His remorse drove him crazy. And he committed suicide. And he didn't repent. And so repentance and sorrow, being remorseful or sorry for your sin, it's not the same thing. Yes, sorrow can lead to repentance, but not necessarily. And so repentance, as I've mentioned, in its essence, is about worship. 
the motivational structures of our hearts changing. And yes, when that happens, behavior reform happens. And if there isn't any moral reform, then you haven't repented, right? But repentance is so much more, so much deeper than mere moral reform. And so in a nutshell, that's really what repentance is. It's exchanging our idols for God. Now, so much could be said needs to be said as well about the what of repentance what is it but we need to move on to the how to the practical side of this sermon and so that's the theology the doctrine there and now practice how are we to actually repent you know in this series that we're in spring cleaning series no doubt god has brought some stuff to the surface you know unearthed some things and sometimes that can be a bit challenging who's with me it can be a bit scary about your own pride and about your own bitterness and unforgiveness and your own love of money and stuff and your own love of security and reputation. The list is pretty much endless. And it can be quite alarming and discouraging. And often we've been using, I mean, he has been preaching these past three weeks about the, you know, how we're going to repent. But how do we actually do that? That's the question. How do we actually do that? And so this is where Psalm 32 comes into the picture, comes into the frame, because this is such a wonderful place for us to see and understand the, the process of how to repent deeply and how to repent biblically. All right, so Psalm 32, if you've still got it open, I'm going to need to find it because the, the wind has blown the pages, and now I've got to find Psalm 32. But I want to highlight with you this morning this process of how to repent. And there are four steps that I'm going to pinpoint today in this text. Four, four steps. Here's the first step. Honesty. Honesty is the first step. Are you there? Psalm 32. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against, uh, does not count against them, and whose spirit is no, what's the word? Deceit. 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 Church, true repentance requires honesty. Honesty with God. There's no deceit. There's no self-righteousness here. I'm not trying to cloak my sin. I'm not trying to disguise it. I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm not trying to bury it, God. Here I am. I'm open before you. And also transparency and honesty with those you trust. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other. And so this is the first step in the process of repentance it's actually acknowledging that you have stuff yeah that you've got things that you're guilty of that you're struggling with you're not trying to bury it one pastor joel lindsay he writes this he wrote a little article called how to repent and he says this about verse 2 of psalm 32 he says only listen to his words he says only those who've ceased trying to cover up their sin with self-righteousness and deceit, that's verse 2, can experience the deep and lasting change that comes only through repentance. You hear that? I'll say it again. Only those who have ceased trying to cover up their sin with self-righteousness and deceit. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, yeah. God and I, we're tight, yeah. I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, it's all good, it's fine. But really inside, you're carrying burdens. You're carrying shame. You're carrying guilt because of a sin that maybe you committed many years ago or just that week. Yeah, I'm fine. That's self-righteousness. That's deceit. He says, you can only experience true, deep, lasting change when you actually bring it out into the open. When you repent. 
And so this is the first step. It's honesty. It's honesty. Look, church, in this series, we want all of us to experience what he's talking about, deep and lasting change. But the precondition to that is repentance. And the first step of repentance is honesty. So let's be honest. Yeah? Come on. Before God and with each other as well. Second step, confession. Confession. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, then, and that's a pivotal then, and we'll come back to it. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. What is he doing there? He's doing the first step, isn't he? He's being honest. He's being transparent with God. But notice the second step. He quickly turns into confession. He says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, there's a real sense of victory and a real sense of determination, I think, in his words. He says, I will confess. That is, for a long time, we're not too sure how long, he had struggled with this guilt, this burden that weighed him down. We know that because... Read with me verses 3 and 4. He says, When I kept silent, that is about his sin issue, my bones wasted away. This is what guilt does to us, by the way. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your heavy was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Who knows that guilt saps one's strength? Emotional strength depletes you. Spiritual vitality even it affects you physically. Your physical well-being and health can be affected because of this guilt. And yet he says, I've had enough of that. I've had enough of this guilt. I've had enough of holding it to myself. I've had enough of playing it safe. I've had enough of deceit and self-righteousness. I will confess it. I'll confess it to the Lord. And also I think there's a real sense of victory here and confidence because he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Church, as we move through this series, the Holy Spirit, I know, has been pinpointing things in your heart. But the ultimate end is not guilt or making you feel down on yourself or disillusioned or discouraged. The ultimate end is joy and forgiveness. You forgave my sin. So there's a sense of confidence as he comes before his God. He knows that he's going to be heard. He knows he's going to be received. He knows he's going to be forgiven. Amen. And so this is the second step, confession. So the first step, honesty, confession. Third step, this is pivotal. It's hide, the word hide. Now, I'm not talking about hiding from church members or hiding from God. I'm talking about hiding ourselves in God's deliverance. Listen to what he says in verse 7. This is remarkable. He says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Isn't that remarkable? That he moves from misery, verses 3 and 4, to victory in verse 7 because of the process of confession. He moves from guilt to assurance. He says, God, you're my hiding place. And you've surrounded me with songs of salvation, songs of deliverance. Church, we need to hide ourselves in God. After confession, we need to hide ourselves and surround ourselves with his songs of deliverance. In other words, we need to understand, listen to me, the doctrine of justification by faith. Who's heard of the doctrine? We're not doing too great. Who's heard? I know we're all tired. The Gatsby, that's what, you know, look at my hair. It's still Gatsby from last night. Couldn't get the product out. I put so much on my hair. It's fine. But 
we need to hide ourselves in God because here's the thing. When we confess, sometimes we still feel guilty for our sin. Even though God's dealt with it, and theoretically we kind of know he's dealt with it, but existentially deep within we still feel guilty for our sin. And so what are we to do with that? Well, we're to do what he does in verse 7. We're to hide ourselves in him and surround ourselves with songs of deliverance. There was a dear brother, he's now with the Lord, called Jerry Bridges. And he wrote a book that was so instrumental in my young Christian life. It was called The Discipline of Grace. The Discipline of Grace. And he taught me this phrase, preach the gospel to yourself. And he would mention things like, you know, you've got to preach against your feelings because often you feel guilty even when you're not guilty. And the devil will make sure that you feel guilty and you feel rotten and miserable because he knows if he keeps us in a state of misery, that's going to affect mission. We're not going to want to talk to others about Jesus if you're feeling guilt-ridden and burdened and miserable. And that's the enemy's ploy, the enemy's plot. So we need to understand the gospel. We need to preach it to ourselves. This wonderful, incredible doctrine of justification by faith. That we are forgiven in Christ completely. Past, present, future sins. That we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it moves from just being a theological thing to something that actually transforms our innermost being. Hiding ourselves in God. Surrounding ourselves with songs of deliverance. That's the third step. And so, honesty confession, hiding ourselves in God's deliverance, and lastly, celebration. Celebration. Singing to the Lord, singing about the Lord, inviting others to sing to the Lord and sing about the Lord. Notice how the psalm concludes on a high point. Verse 11, he says these words, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. You know, he's thinking about others here. He's saying, I've, I've been through this process. I was guilty and I confessed. I was honest. And now God surrounded me with songs of celebration. And now I've been singing and I want others to sing with me. You see? So celebration also leads to mission. Wanting others to know this incredible God and Savior that we love and treasure for His grace. Yeah? You see, church, listen. I'm going to finish with this. Repentance is not a gloomy thing. When we hear the term repentance, I pray from this day forward, we won't think, oh, that's just a negative thing. Repent, I've got to try. I want you to think repentance, although there's negative things attached, yeah, we need to turn away. Ultimately, it's about turning towards Christ in this series. He was mentioned a few times. It's about decluttering, not for decluttering sake, but for us to be filled more with the life and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the end goal. That's the point of repentance. It's joy. And this is what God desires for each of his children. He wants us to move from a place of misery and guilt to a place of victory and assurance. Can I hear an amen? That's the point of this whole series. And so, yes, yes, the Holy Spirit, because he loves you, because he loves us, highlights things in our hearts. Not because he wants to crush us, but because he knows that these things keep us bound and burdened and down. 
And he wants us to repent. He wants us to turn away from them and experience this life in God so that we sing and that we invite others to come to know this incredible God of grace that we love and treasure. Amen? How about we stand? You know, we're going to sing Andy's and the team are going to lead us in some worship. And as we've been saying these past few weeks, as we've been in this series, if there's something that the Lord has highlighted to you, He's put His eraser, as it were, kind of, or His highlighter pen, rather, over that issue and Maybe it's been an issue for a long, long time or maybe it's a recent thing that you just can't seem to hurdle. I want you right now as we worship to just to move in your spirit, in your mind through this process of here I am, God. Search me, know me. See if there's any unclean way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's honesty. And if there is something that the Holy Spirit highlights or if you know there's something, you just confess it. You confess it to Him. And then you start to hide yourself in His care, His songs of deliverance. And as we sing, I pray that you would celebrate, that we would celebrate the victory of our Savior's cross, that He went there for us to die for all our sins, all our wretchedness, all our wickedness. He took it to the tree so that we would be eternally free. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andy. Away my sin, nothing but the blood.